Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. I am so excited to have another conversation to share with you all today. In this conversation, I talk with Ed Cahill of Cahill Cards. Ed is someone who I've been following across all digital channels since I've been back into the hobby. He creates really compelling, um, highly produced content. And it's something that I it caught my attention. And the what he talks about in his videos is a lot of what I talk about on stacking slabs. So there's some definite synergy there. And I think there's a lot of people online and people that are are good to learn from, good to meet, and all it takes is really just reaching out. So I had reached out to Ed after following him for a while, said, hey, I'd love to talk with you to share your story about why you're doing what you're doing with Cahill Cards, and that's what we're doing today. So hope you all enjoy this. Um, definitely check out Ed uh, across YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, you name it, he's there. Go enjoy this one. Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. I am super excited for today's conversation. Part of what I've been talking a lot about on Stacking Slabs is leveraging your resources, looking at content, meeting people in the hobby. And I think the best place to do that is across digital channels. There's so so many people that are so easy to reach out to. It typically just takes one direct message. And that's really how the conversation started with today's guest. I want to welcome in Ed Cahill of Cahill Cards. Ed, how are you? I'm good, Brett. Thanks so much for having me, man. You do a lot of great content and do a lot for the community. So I'm uh, really happy to jump on today and, and have a good conversation. Yeah, no, I am super excited about it too. I think, you know, Jumping in, there's so many people producing content, you know, whether it's YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, you name it. And you were certainly someone early on as I was getting back in the hobby and um, searching for people that were talking about the hobby that stuck out. Um, So definitely everybody check out um, Ed at Cahill Cards. I think just jumping off a, a good place to start would be just overall TikTok. I think I have been someone who was a detractor of TikTok. I I felt like, you know, TikTok is a channel that is for, you know, high school kids and it's not for me. But the more and more I talked to people in the hobby, people continued to reference TikTok. And I felt like, all right, I'm going to sign up for an account. I'm going to hit the hobby hashtag and just see what's going on. And as I did that, you were, you were someone that would hit my feed. And I started to learn about you being new to the hobby, you creating good content and you talking about things that I really cared about. So I'm curious, just kicking it off. um, How long have you been on TikTok? What has your response been? um, and, And what do you think about it so far? Yeah. And just to give your listeners some background too, I'm, I'm fairly new to the hobby. You know, I came in, I started kind of collecting and, and ripping packs and, and investing in some stuff, you know, probably two, three months before quarantine or really kind of towards the start of the year. 
And then when quarantine hit, I was like, you know, this is a good time for me to, to push in and start creating some content. That's it's what I do professionally. I, I work for Orlando City Soccer Club and MLS and in the content, I, I head up our content department there and I've worked for the Dallas Cowboys and Seattle Seahawks. And so I have a lot of that content experience and TikTok was actually when I started to, to create content, I, I made a YouTube, but then TikTok was really the first social platform I decided to get into. In my work life, I've been pushing heavily into TikTok and I've been learning a lot about it. And the biggest thing for me with TikTok is the discovery of content is so much more free flowing. And for someone that was coming in back into the hobby where I've got no accounts, I've got no following anywhere, TikTok is legitimately your best chance of garnering some unique engagements that you're not having to pay for because the hashtag systems on Twitter and Instagram are great, but they favor the people that already have audiences. So if you're at the bottom of the barrel, super tough to get anyone to actually see your content. Whereas on TikTok, all you got to do is hit the right hashtags. But the key with TikTok is you got to have a good video. And if your watch time is good, and if you're engaging with the audience that you want to engage in, TikTok's algorithm will send that to other people that it's looped in that same audience. And you know, as you've noticed, as you probably go through TikTok, you notice that it really pretty quickly learns what you're interested in, even if you're not liking or subscribing or following anybody because it'll gauge your watch times on certain videos. So there's actually some stuff that'll like put me on that I'm really not interested in, but I'm like morbidly interested in. So I tend to watch the videos. And so that's to me was, was a great starting off point for me because I knew I could get my content in front of people if I focused on kind of making some high quality informational, fun to watch stuff. I knew I could grow organically and it's been my most successful social platform by far. Yeah, I know. Just in me being new to TikTok, I think, you know, the uh, the ability to get views and to grow your audience from nothing to something, I think it's, it's pretty incredible just, you know, as being someone who's been on social and, you know, someone who's created content for a living. I, I, I'm very impressed with how it's designed and how the al- algorithms work. Each of, I'm newer, each video I post, you know, I get a couple hundred, um, you know, views here and there, but I guess, I don't know if you saw this. Do you follow uh wax pack hero, Mike Summer at all on TikTok? I do. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. He's awesome. So he posted this video that was like, I guess his Mike Trout tops 2020, the mail caught on so, fire. Yeah. Caught on yeah. fire. Right. Which was insane. And the mail, yeah. Yeah. And so like, I'm watching this video and I was like blown away. It's very short, but I was like, I couldn't believe that this actually happened. And he actually shows the card and it was burnt to shreds. And, you know, I decided, okay, I'm just, I'm sitting here. I was, you know, I think I was watching like AEW Dynamite in my hobby room. And I was like, I'm going to hit a duet and I'm just going to record a reaction of me watching this video. And I had not opened up TikTok until like probably four o'clock the next day. And I looked down at my phone and it had like 22,000 views. And I was like completely taken aback because nothing I had created with me talking had anything remotely close to that. So I guess for me, the moral of the story was maybe I should like just be a mime and be silent because it seems like that's uh, more people are <laughs> watching. Crazy. That. That's more. That's more than he actually got on the original video. I think he got like six thousand on it. So it's pretty crazy what TikTok can do. Again, it's just if you catch people and they hang on for a little bit, the algorithm will really take that. I mean, I've had a couple of videos that have taken off, and I've got a couple of videos in the like fifties and sixty thousands, and those are actually videos that when I made them, like I knew they would get to that point. Uh, and so you can once you start to make 
that content, you can almost understand what's going to go and what's not going to go. Uh, the two videos that I have are both are one of one polls of Zion and then one of Luca. And with the right hashtags and the right content, sometimes you can just know, hey, this is going to go. Um, and that's, that's been really interesting to learn. And even had like, I had the Mavs comment on one of my videos the other day, which was, which was wow. crazy. And that's just the kind of reach that it can generate. Like, you know, if you hit the right, the, the right realm, you're going to hit the social media manager of the Dallas Mavericks if you, if you do it right. Totally. And, and I want to talk about you getting back into the hobby, but want to stay on this topic for one, uh, one second, because I haven't heard anyone else like in a, on a podcast talk about this. But I know you've talked about it, and I, I, you mentioned Zion 101, and I've cracked up watching this. But we got to talk about a What's Up Mario. You created a video about that. <laughs> yeah, the What's Up Mario thing is is awesome. And if you haven't, if your listeners weren't aware, it was uh, I, I don't know actually the full story. I know it was it was filmed in a hobby shop in in South Carolina, and a kid was doing a Instagram live stream. I think he was doing a break of some kind, is what I've been told, and he pulled a black disco. A one of one parallel out of select basketball, which if you know, is a very expensive box of cards on its own. And that uh, is probably the cream of the crop of the cards that you could get in that box. And the kid was just so chill. And right as he pulled it, this guy named Mario commented on the stream. And, you know, whereas me, I'd probably be flipping out, jumping up and yelling. This guy just right. goes, you know, what's up, Mario? And then just kind of proceeds on to the next card, which is DeMar DeRozan. And that kind of just took off. Yeah, I did a video on it. And I think, um, you know, I've like, I've done some memes in it with like my other content as well. I think he's a cool guy. I actually had his brother reach out to me on, his brother reached out to me on TikTok because he, it popped up on his feed and he said his brother's friends were seeing it on their feed. And so that's how he got wind of it. And that's just how far that kind of stuff can go. And they said they were just thrilled about the, the video and the reaction. They thought it was a lot of fun. And um, that's just, you know, I think it's an example of kind of, what content can do for the hobby and how that can kind of bring people into the mix and into the know. Totally. Yeah. And I, it's funny, like being in discord groups and people debating and everyone getting fired up about cards in general. And it's like when that I've been in those conversations with people and I want it to stop, I'll just stop it by saying, what's up Mario. And people will laugh. It's a good icebreaker, but it, that video I've watched it probably a hundred times. And then just prepping for this video, saw that, you created a whole video or this conversation, you created a whole video on it. So I had to touch on that. Um, maybe we can talk about just your, your background. Cause it, I think it's super interesting to me just in being a content creator in sports. So how did, how did you get into sports and maybe talk to talk a little bit about uh, your path and your career for the listeners? Yeah, I was just, um, you know, when I was growing up, I was an athlete and I was, uh, I was like a film director. Like I love to make movies and, uh, I pretty much came to the reality at some point that I was not going to be a professional athlete and that I probably wasn't going to be a film director. And I was like, well, let's see how I can mix these two. And so in college, I really started off by, I created a sports station, basically like the ESPN of university of South Carolina and put it on our campus news station. Now let me go and shoot all the sports, baseball, basketball, football, and go on the road and cover the teams and just create, create, create. And then was able, lucky enough to get an opportunity straight out of college to go do a internship with the Seattle Seahawks and then the Seattle Sounders as well. At the time, they were underneath the same roof. They're separated now. Went there and, and went there for video content and, and web development and worked there for about a year and then jumped over to the Dallas Cowboys which I uh, spent four years there, really just kind of honing my craft, 
uh, learning, you know, the Cowboys generate so much content. I hosted a podcast there for, for four years, did a bunch of draft content, all that stuff, and then got the opportunity to come here to Orlando where I've been for uh, going on four or five years now with Orlando City Soccer Club, came and joined when they came into MLS as an expansion side. So I've really got to come come here and build our channels. And, you know, for this small, one of the smallest markets in the league, I think we're the second smallest market in the league. Our social content is pretty much in the top three every single year in terms of followers and engagement and stuff. So we really outperform and it's really key to what we've done here. And it was great to kind of come here and, and build it from the ground up. And it's it's been great working in sports. It's It's really... Uh, you know, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, it's a dream job. It is really hard work and it's long hours and you work weekends. And, you know, for us as well, we have, if you're not familiar with soccer, we have a women's team that we, uh, that we own as well. We have a minor league team that feeds to our, our first men's team. And we also have academy teams, like five or six academy teams. So some weeks we might have seven or eight games we have to cover. So things get a little bit crazy, but it's, it's been a blast to, to be in the industry and be so close to players and to see some special moments. I was say my best moment of my life other than my, my kid being born was I was on the field for the beast quake Marshawn Lynch's run oh, against wow. the saints in Seattle. It was like right on the goal line. And it was just the, the craziest moment of my life. And that's the kind of the things you get to experience when you work in sports, which is great. That's amazing. So I like, it's funny how that's incredible. You were there on the sideline for that, but that moment, I was at a uh, Pacers game and I had just, you know, gotten nachos or, you know, whatever it was. And I was looking at the TV screen that they have up and that game was tight. And I remember standing there watching that unfold and the look on everyone's face around me after they watched it, it was just silence and everyone's just jaw was on the ground. One of those just plays that I think, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. Uh, one of those Me too, literally. That, I have goosebumps right now. I mean, <laughs> I can't, so like, I can't, I've never talked to anyone who was in the arena for that. Um, but what was that reaction? I blacked like? out. Okay. <laughs> I blacked, like, I blacked out. It was like, I literally, like, blacked out. It was so loud. I, like, I've never been anywhere louder in my entire life. And then I, like, come to, and our PR director at the time is literally just, like, assaulting me. He's just, like, punching <laughs> me. He's just, like, so excited. And then, it was just the, the weirdest thing was almost like the, the run itself, it was so loud, but it was so sustainably loud as the field goal team came on to kick the extra point and Marshawn walked back to the bench. And it was, it was just like a jet engine was on the entire time. I actually have like a picture of, of me in the background. I actually wasn't, I wasn't even filming because back then I didn't even film the games. I was just sitting on the sideline because I was come down, I'd come down for the end of the game and I'm like, I'm like, I look so jacked up and you can like see me in the background. I'll, I'll text you the picture after the show. Yeah. And it was, um, it was surreal. It was the most, it was the most incredible sports play I've ever seen live or not live. And to be there was, was awesome. And then I went to the next day, I went to the university of Washington and I filmed a story about the crowd noise registering on the Richter scale as a seismic event. Like that's how loud it was. It wow. measured on the Richter scales, like at university of Washington downtown, which was, was nuts. That's incredible, man. I'm going to have to, I, that's like, that's on tonight's to-do list is pull that up on YouTube and, and just hit play and watch that again. It's been a while. Um, so it's super cool and fascinating that, that you are involved professionally with content and, and sports teams. And obviously 
you know, with Cahill Cards, you're able to apply what you do professionally to kind of what something you're passionate about, and that's sports cards. When did when did that transition happen for you, where you were, you said to yourself, you know, I, I'm I'm doing this all day. I've got this skill set. Now I'm going to point this at the sports cards hobby. Yeah, for me, it was I had just really gotten back into the hobby and was just really enjoying it. And um, you know, I was doing breaks and watching content creators and actually saw you know an area of need I think in the hobby of of some some more content creators, especially with some more quality. Uh, and 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 not that a lot of these guys in the hobby they do a fantastic job and they they know way more about you know the cards and the sets and and what they're looking for than I am, which I think is evident when you watch my videos that I'm I'm certainly new. Uh, but I really thought uh, there was an opportunity for me to come in and, and do something unique. And it's just, you know, it's it's a fun thing for me to do, especially, you know, we were in quarantine, had some extra time on my hands. It's a good way to stay sharp for me in my in my real world job to to do some things at night. And it's just, um, you know, it's not work for me. It's fun. I, I enjoy, you know, back when I first started, I'd get the box and I'd rip it right away. And now it's almost torture because I get a box and I have to wait until, you know, I'll actually, I'll do like three unboxings in a night just to, so I don't have to like rip up and tear down my sets and stuff. And, um, you know, now I have to wait patiently and do it all at one time, but I, I really do enjoy it. And I do enjoy creating content that uh, makes a difference for people. And the, the biggest compliment I've ever received is anyone that gets on there and say, Hey, you got me back into this hobby or, Hey, I saw your content. I went out and picked up a box of cards and really enjoying it. And that to me is, uh, it is awesome because you know I did this as a kid, and then coming back in, it's really just kind of brought back some of those memories, and and it's just such a different, it's just such a different thing than it was back then. Now, and it, it's so interesting and dynamic, and it's um you know it's just been a lot of fun. So that's just kind of what I've done. I've I've got some plans for Cahill cards, and I, I've talked to you about that before the show. I'd like to eventually do some live breaks and stuff, and I'm just slowly working through it. I'm not in a rush to do anything, and you know I'm I'm really just trying to do it organically and not, not try to force anything and, and do things the right way. And, um, you know, I, you know, KO cards too. It's like, I have a registered business for it. Uh, so, you know, when I purchase cards and stuff, I purchase it under the business and it's tax write off and it's like taking a, a different approach to it than I think a lot of people. And I eventually want to get in and do some breaks and stuff as well. But, uh, it's, it's been a good learning experience for me in the professional life too, how to run a business and, and how to, you know, keep track of finances and stuff like that. So, it's just a lot of different things that uh, that kind of compelled me to do it. Yeah, and I like what you said too about just not being in a rush and doing things and building your audience organically. I think just I think from marketer to marketer, that's something you know we might understand more than just people who don't do marketing for a living. But I think that's something that's super important. And I think just in the hobby in general, um, things that I notice and stand out. Um, when people are building and creating content, I think it's what you're doing is completely on one end, um, helpful and beneficial. Whereas on the other end, it's not helpful and beneficial when, you know, people you don't know are unsolicited slide into your DMs and try to get you to buy, you know, a break spot or join their RAS, which that is kind of the, right. the turnoff. That's the turnoff of the hobby. It's like, I don't know you. I don't want to spend 60, 70 bucks on your break quit asking me to join your break. And I, I get those types of things regularly. Is there anything that you get on a regular basis in the hobby? And I'd say it's 95% good for me, but anything that kind of rubs you the wrong way when you're interacting on social channels? 
Yeah, I think it's the same with you, and I'm sure a lot of people experience this. And that's that's kind of when I when I first started to get into content creation, my first thought was, hey, I'd love to do breaks. I just think I've, I'm well suited for it, and I think it'd be a lot of fun and just kind of the community atmosphere is great. And there's a lot of people that do a fantastic job. We've got Leighton Sports Guards just down the street from me here in Orlando. Like they they kill it. They also buy all the retail up. I think that's my theory. They buy all the retail up. That's why I never. <laughs> they, buy they do. Um, and so that's, you know, that's was my end goal was, Hey, I'd like to do some breaks, but when I really started to think about it. And again, you go in, you start to, to get on the social media accounts and those people start to pester you and you're just like, you know, no, why would I do that? Like I have one breaker that I use. I use uh, Brian Wolf at Wolf's card breaks and I break with him cause like we're friends now and I trust mm-hmm. him and he's, you know, sent me loads of cards and they come, you know, well-packed every time and I've hit big cards and they've come in perfect condition. I've got PSA 10. Like I've got a relationship with him. Like I even text him, like I have that trust. And that's, you know, I realized like, look, if I want to do breaks and if that's a service I want to provide, like I have to build trust with people first and I have to do that the right way and not just start a YouTube account and start throwing breaks up on there and, and trying to, to hustle people into them. Like I want people to join when I eventually start doing breaks, which who knows? You know, I don't. I really don't know when I'm going to get to that point. I'm again. I'm working slowly. Like I've already got my overlays done. I've got lighting setups on the way. I'm working with distributors to see if I can get proper distribution, so I don't have to do you know one hobby box. I can actually do a proper case. And you know, I, I'm taking those small steps, but I'm not going to say set myself myself a goal and say I'm going to do breaks on next Wednesday. I'm going to do it when it feels right, and I feel like any audience that I built has any interest. And I'm not going to do like five nights a week. Like I plan to do, actually plan to start and just doing Tuesdays and just do Tuesday night breaks and have that be my thing for a while. And then if enough people enjoy it, I might move to Wednesdays. But again, just not in a rush and really just, I never want to rub anyone the wrong way. I just want every interaction to be organic and helpful. And um, I try to make a point to every person that comments on my TikTok, I respond. Every person that asks me a question, I respond. Anyone in my DMs, the amount of people you know on social that have, have gotten into my DMs that are new to the hobby and have asked questions and trying to take time. And I even give some guys my phone number and be like, hey, if you want to give me a call, like I'll, we, we can probably hash this out a lot quicker on a 10-minute phone call than some back and forth DMs. And that's just, you know, from someone that's come back in the hobby, I want to kind of give back there to some of the new people coming in and just make myself open. You know, if that's that's if I can offer, you know, some time, I think that's just the most important thing that any creator can do is offer their time on a one-to-one basis with, with anyone that's interested in their, in their content. Totally. It's, that is brand building 101. Keep giving back. Um, I love that. Let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, you being newer to the hobby or re-entering the hobby. Same. I think we both share in the uh, love of the nostalgic feel, feels that Rip and Packs um, gives us, but then there's the, also the business side of it, right? I think that's the attractive thing for you know people in our age range is you've got the nostalgia marrying with the business and the business opportunities. So I'm curious, just in terms of you know we hear a lot about you know investing, collecting. How do you classify yourself? in this hobby? What are you doing? Are you buying? Are you selling? Um, what's your process? Yeah, it's, it's actually been, I think, when you look at it from a content creator, it's actually, it could be a little different. I didn't really realize that at first. And, you know, if I want to cover a new product, you know, I've got the contend, 2020 contenders on the way, that's like a $250 box of cards. And I'm not expecting to get my money back on what I flip out of that box or what I keep out of that box. It's not my intention at all. My intention is to 
show my viewers what is what it's like to rip that box open to talk about the product and to learn from the product. And if I can get 50 or 70 bucks back then, then my cost for the video was $170 and not $250. So from like a meta point of view, that's kind of how in my head I think about it. Really what I want to do is be able to open boxes on my channel and share that with the fans. Um, but I do, I have been doing some side investing, obviously. Uh, Project 2020 is kind of where I had my most success because I was super early in that and everyone's aware of the ups and downs of that right now. And uh, it's, it's gone down considerably. I mean, at one time I was sitting on $50,000 of cards and now wow. I think it's, that's more around 10 um, in terms of just sheer profit. But that's been the big hit for me. And I, you know, I really didn't start. And again, I think it's a lesson in terms of when you're looking to invest, you've got to learn. I didn't start buying Project 2020 with the thoughts of investing. I didn't buy any multiple cards until like card 30. I was just buying because I thought they were cool. I bought the ones that I thought looked cool. And then I started to realize that there might've been a market for it. And I wasn't buying 20. I wasn't pre-sailing. I was just trying to... Really, my goal at the beginning was like, look, if I can fund my personal collection of these, that's great. And it turned into be a lot more than that. But um, I do a little bit of that. You know, I, I, I'm a deal. Like I, like, I like to find deals. So, you know, and, and I think the big thing is understanding markets and understanding prices and where they're at. So I like to to browse eBay and check bins and refresh on bins a lot and see if I can steal a card for twenty bucks less than it's worth. And um, you know, it's 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 really an inexact science. And I think when you're getting back in, you want to just dip a toe in. You don't want to go be throwing thousands of dollars at it because there's just no guarantees. It's the same thing as the stock market. I day traded for a lot of years, and I see a lot of similarities. The one big benefit is it's a much smaller market and it's much easier to understand than when you're talking about the stock market. You know, the stock market is so vast and sweeping and there's so many external factors that when you look at the market of sports cards, it's actually pretty thin and narrow and easy to understand if you spend the time. So I always tell people when you get back in, like, hey, maybe buy one one or two cards that you think might go up, but really just watch the markets and look at cards you're interested in and and see what they're doing and see how the prices ebbs and flows and get a feeling for is this the right price or is it not? And that's such a hard thing to tell, especially right now in the, in the world we're in and, and you know, how the economy's gone down, but cards have gone up. It's just who knows which, which is the right way. So it's, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I generally try to approach it with just, um, you know, try to be smart about it, but also try not to get too caught up in the, in the flipping and moving and really just find enjoyment in, in the hobby when I can. And for me, I just really want to experience the new products and, and check them out and share that with people. Totally. And um, you mentioned eBay, and I'd love to just chop up eBay a little bit. I think for me, as someone who's back in, um, and eBay's a beast, right? You can get in there and go down rabbit holes, and the next thing you know, it you spent you know three hundred fifty dollars, and you're like, "What did I buy?" So like, I I got kind of caught. Part of my approach is one. I think I got the. I learned early, like you can't just go rip and wax all day or you'll be, you know, broke and all your disposable income will be gone. Um, that was the first learning. And the second learning is don't just walk into eBay without a plan. Uh, make sure you have a plan. And usually that plan for me consists of, all right, here are the the players in the sports that I'm looking to buy with. And I've done the research and I've, I've under, I understand where their market is. And I, I like the potential of those cards. And so do you have, when you, you know, log on to eBay or pull it up on your phone, do you typically 
know, are you very intentional with what you're searching for? Do you end up in those kind of eBay rabbit holes? Um, what's your approach when you get on eBay? Yeah, Brad, I think that's a great point. I think when I first started, I would literally sit up and I would just type in PSA 10 and I would go ending soonest. Danger zone. I would literally just camp there and try to snipe cards that I really didn't want or understand the value of. And I somehow ended up with like, I have a set of like three uh, Nick Foles, Spectre Roid Obsidians, one out of 10. Like I own 30% of that market for God knows why. Um, right. I'll never move those cards most likely. Um, so I did a lot of things like that early on. And, and now, yeah, I think, I think you're right when you say you really have to have a plan and, and mine is not as eBay heavy anymore. And there's a few players that I look out for and I really gauge the market. And if I can snipe a card here or there, I will, uh, where I'm really, my plan generally now and where I think the biggest, uh, profits are in terms of just putting time in is either finding ungraded cards that you think could grade well, which is a very difficult thing to do. Uh, and you're really rolling the dice in terms of, you know, picking up a lot of 20 cards and, and seeing if you can grade those out. I, I still have pushed heavily into that and it's, it's gone well for me. I think you really just have to be honest with yourself when you do it. And if you're not wasting money on the grading end by sending in cards, you know, are going to get eights or nines. Like you really should be only sending in cards that you think can get tens and you have to have the proper tools to do that. You know, get yourself a magnifying loop. That's been the biggest thing for me is just a, a, a lit magnifying loop to look at corners and look at surfaces and, you know, just being honest with myself there. But I also have a lot of fun in that with like the processing of it and, um, you know, bulk processing. And there's things I did a video on my YouTube of how you can go take the uh, top um, uh, complete set that you find in retail all the time and turn that into potentially $200 by just picking some cards out and sending them in for grading. So I would look for opportunities like that and stuff like living sets. Um, you know, I bought a bunch of the Topps Dortmund soccer sets because I think there's value there. And I really just kind of look for places that I can kind of take advantage of, of something that I think is, is either undervalued or uh, is underrepresented. So that's kind of my plan. I buy less, I'd say I buy less singles now than, than I did when I first started. But I do have a set of players that I, you know, I'm, I'm big on John Morant, so I, I keep an eye on his cards. But again, I just really don't want to pay market price ever for most of that stuff. So unless I think I'm getting a deal, I generally don't pull the trigger. Right. Yeah, I love John Morant. I think most people who are, uh, you know, super into, obviously Zion, you know, he's above the rim type player and, you know, he's, everybody knows Zion and Obviously, the hobby, John Moran, is responsible for some of this growth. But man, watching that kid play and his leadership abilities this early in his career and just his whole style. I was listening to a podcast, uh, Breaker Culture, actually, today they dropped. And it was the first time I heard this comparison, but there was a comparison of uh, John Morant just in terms of not really caring what anyone else thinks based on how he plays a little bit to Allen Iverson. And I was like, that's interesting. Yeah. So God, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, yeah, I, I, mean, I agree. Pay, paying for John Morant sucks right now, but I, to be honest with you, it's like, I've made a few of those investments, those high dollar investments on him, just because I'm such a believer that I feel like if I don't get in now, it's going to be triple that this time next year. 
Right. And I think we talk about both of us being marketers and that's when you, when you compare Zion to Ja, I mean, Zion is, if he continues to play like he is, he's going to get all the Nike deals and everything that he ever wants. But Ja's personality and the way he plays and, you know, I think he really embodies what, what Memphis does there and their good young core. I've, I've been telling people, hey, when should I sell my John Moran? I was like, wait to see what the NBA does. If they come back and they go into the playoffs, which is what they're going to do, and Memphis is going to have a chance to be in, you know, it's if Ja gets in and has a couple big playoff games or has a big series, like you're going to have, you're going to really see what those prices are going to do. So, you know, I, I haven't been buying a lot of graded cards, but I probably in my Com C have 85 Ja Morant, you know, base rated rookies, you know, ready to go. Right. So I, I really just buy those up and Comp is a good, great place to do that as well. If you're looking to buy base singles, because the scans are really good. You can really go through and check the centering and check some of the corners. And then I literally just, if I go see one, I think I was like, oh, this could maybe be a 10. I just chuck it in my cart. And then eventually when his prices go up or I think they're in a good spot, I'll ship them all and process and send the ones I think that can get 10s. I hit listening to you describe kind of your process in buying raw cards. And that's something that's been newer to you. I think that's the same to me. And I, you know, I just realized, you know, buying a card, sending it in and just the, um, you know, profit that, you know, you can see from that, but it is difficult, right? And you got to trust the seller. Um, and one thing just to share, and this is new to me, what I've been doing is I've been um, just clicking in. If there are, if there's someone who I'm buying from, like if I've noticed I bought from them a t- couple times, clicking into their kind of their store and going through and noticing, you know, okay, they're just selling raw cards and they're the raw cards that the industry wants for the most part. So from that perspective, I've, I've, you know, I, when I log into eBay now, I, instead of going to the search bar, I'll go to like actual sellers who I've bought from because I have gotten good cards and I do have good experience uh, with them. But yeah, we've all, we've all bought cards that when they've come, you know, you notice that surface scratch or you yeah. notice, you and know, that's the a bottom. great point. And I think yeah. another thing you can do with that as well, the most important thing when you're buying raw cards is that you really can't be buying a single raw card and paying the shipping on it. Cause if I buy a $12 John Morant raw card and I pay three ninety nine shipping. Uh, that's just killing any potential profit I get. So if you have a buyer you're comfortable with and they have a bunch of raw cards, you can A, put them all in your cart or you sometimes you can also reach out to that buyer on eBay and say, hey, if you're busting packs or anything and if you pull any of X, Y player, I'd love to deal with that separately off eBay, which I've done. I have, I have a couple of sellers, the guys that rips, rip cards and I work on work with them outside of eBay to work on deals when they acquire certain cards. And I have some people that now that do the same thing with me. I have like a couple soccer buyers that I built relationships with. I'm like, hey, that's all it has to take is someone buys a soccer card from you. And you know, that's for that's that's a pretty when you actually go on eBay, the soccer market's pretty niche. So if I have someone buy like a mm-hmm. niche soccer player from me, I'll just send them a quick message, be, hey, are you looking for what are you looking for? You know, are you looking for other players? Like, you know, I have more inventory. There's not a huge market for it, but you got to find the buyers for it. And then that's another thing I, I I'll probably come and see again. Because you can buy on ComC, if you're not aware, you can put money into your wallet. And if you do it that way, you can defer shipping. So like I said, I basically keep money in my wallet there. And I probably have 200 cards at ComC because I really my I really use ComC for Tatis Jr. and uh, John Morant uh, single cards, but I mix some other ones in there too. And then 
when I want to ship them, then I just pay shipping one time. And that's shipping costs and buying in lots and, and buying in ways that you can save money. Shipping is like the biggest thing you can do to maximize what can be sometimes minimal profits. Totally. And I'm going to plug this site because first of all, I want to see if you, you're aware of it, but are you, are you up on Starstock yet? I have heard of it, but I have not tried it yet. I know it's new. Okay. Yeah. I haven't either, but I, um, I talked with uh, a member of their team um, just to get my feedback on their site. And I think what they're doing is, um, is, has a lot of potential and it touches on buying cards in bulk and buying, buying, um, you know, making the transactions easier for both buyer and seller. So that's something that, you know, I just want to plug on this show is that if you're interested in buying cards, obviously Com C is a great one. There's eBay, but Starstock might be a, a good resource for everyone. Um, as you're, you know, listening to the show and thinking about buying um, some new cars, but I would encourage you to check it out. Cause I think they're just getting off the ground, but there's a lot of potential there. Yeah. Check it out. There's a lot of, there's a lot of new people in the industry. And I think that's, um, there's new blood and there's new things going on. That's, that's awesome time to, to get started right now and, and check those things out. Cause you know, things have been done a certain way for a long time by a lot of companies and then new companies are coming in and, and changing things up and, and listening to the, their audience, which I think is important. Totally. And just a couple more, this has been super fun. A couple more to round it out. I'm curious. I feel like the, one of the most exciting topics there is in sports cards in the industry is just overall, you know, prospecting and spending time doing research on a player or players, uh, that maybe haven't had the chance or players that, you know, based on their situation, um, will see court time or time on the field that, um, you know, us as the collectors or investors see a ton of potential. And so I'm curious on your list, who are, you know, maybe in, you know, the sports that you're focused on, who are some of the the top prospects that you're, um, you know, buying up right now because you like the price and upside of those players? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I sometimes take a unique approach because I am a marketer and I look a lot of, at a lot of those external factors of, of maybe why guys are undervalued or why they're overvalued. And I look at the markets they play in and, and their potential, you know, just going through a handful. I, I'm big on Ronald Acuna. His prices are super high. And so I, I don't buy often. If I can get the, the price I want on it, I will. And I have a fairly large collection of him. And I am a Braves fan. So some of that may be clouded in some and some fanboyism, but I think his ceiling and his ability to to grow into a you know international phenomenon is 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 huge. And then on the other side, Fernando Tatis Jr. with the Padres, I think is kind of in the same ilk and could be you know the the boon we've seen with Acuna could be you know part two with Tatis. His cards again already pretty expensive, but that's why I buy a lot of raw cards from him. And there's some of his set. You know, I I probably corner the market on his tops gallery cards. I buy pretty much every one of those that I see on eBay or, or Com C. And um, I think there's, there's value there. Looking in the NBA, I think De'Aaron Fox is a guy I, I pay a lot of attention to. I think he's in a bad market. I think mm-hmm. he honestly, before too long, probably goes to a different market and pairs up with another superstar and then blows up. And his cards are relatively cheap right now. And when you actually go dive into his statistics... He really compares to Russell Westbrook in terms of career projection, in terms of where he's going to go. And um, a guy, again, who's marketable like he is, appeals to different audiences because he's kind of like a nerd. He's kind of a gamer. I think 
as these, you know, as the hobby progresses and brings new people in, he's a guy a lot of people want to get. And just his cards, like his his rated rookie, like optic card is so cheap. Like I really will just buy PS10, PS, PSA 10s of those, like whenever I get the chance. And then over in football, I'm big on Josh Allen. I think yes. he's got so many tools. He's such a dynamic player. He's obviously, you saw in the playoffs last year, he's young and he's still a little bit raw. But because Buffalo gets hardly any attention, his prices are just so cheap compared to where he should be that it's almost just a guaranteed buy and his division is kind of going down while the bills are going up and he gets in the playoffs and makes a run. His cards are just going to explode. And that's, I've been, you know, for a while, really since the playoffs last year, trying to pick up cards of him after I, and, and that's, that's on me too. I really hadn't watched the guy play until the playoffs. Uh, Cause just Buffalo is never on TV. Right. And that's mm-hmm. that more than you think impacts card prices. And that's why I've kind of pushed him. And then the other guy, I'm really focusing on this year because he's going to be super cheap because there's way more competition is Jordan Love. You know, Jordan Love is going to go sit behind Aaron Rodgers for who knows how long. And his cards, he's going to be overshadowed by overshadowed by a handful of quarterbacks this year, especially up at the top with Tua and Burrow. Um, and then uh, you've got the kid from, from Oregon, that's uh, Herbert as well, who might start. And so those are going to be the three guys most people are going to be chasing. I think you'd be able to pick Jordan Love cards up for cheap, 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 and maybe for the next couple of years even. And whether he plays with the Packers or it's a Jimmy Garoppolo type situation where he goes and plays somewhere else, you know, I think it's just an easy investment and to me almost a low risk investment because I was big on him coming out and I thought he might go somewhere and start. So for him to go and have time to learn, like take a look at Mahomes, guys. Like, no one was really buying up Mahomes when, when he came out. He was a higher draft pick than Love. And he was going to go sit and wait. And I think a lot of people wish they probably picked up a few of those his rookie year because they could have gotten him for almost nothing. Yeah, I hope, I hope what you're talking about with uh, Jordan Love is similar to what, what is going to happen with uh, maybe Jacob Eason in Indianapolis as a Colts fan. Spend some time, learn from a potential Hall of Famer in Phillip Rivers. Yeah. Um, but I, I like that mentality. And just to touch on a couple other things that stood out to me in your response was, one, I think what you said about uh, Darren Fox is, is super smart. And I think that doesn't get talked about enough about the fact that, you know, yes, the Kings market no slight to Kings fans. And I don't want to paint the picture that Fox is leaving, but I think that's as a collector and investor, how we should be thinking is that he might not stay in this situation forever. And he's NBA contracts are huge and there's the Lakers are going to need a point guard eventually, you know? And so like that thinking that if you're investing in the long term, like a guy like Darren Fox might end up in a bigger market and might get more eyeballs on him. So that's one that I think, People listening, they should think, consider that when looking at the optic price of Fox right, right now. And then just with Josh Allen, I think we share in the same sentiment about his uh, talent and capabilities. I think, you know, right now it's undeniable. You've got, you know, Pat Mahomes, you've got Lamar Jackson, you've got Kyler Murray. Awesome, exciting players. I love watching them all. They're, they're all incredible. I think sky's the limit for a guy like Kyler, Lamar Jackson, MVP season. Pat Mahomes, I mean, I don't even need to say anything about him. But then underneath that, you've got a guy like Josh Allen who's getting better each week, each time he steps on the field. He's in that market that maybe not might be as exciting as some of the others, but 
he's they're adding pieces like digs around him. So that's one I'm huge on Josh Allen. He reminds me a little bit of uh, a guy who's near and dear to my heart, Andrew Luck, just in terms of the way he moves around his arm and just, he's got a lot of intangibles that I like about him. So I like your thought process. We share in a similar mindset as we approach some of these young guys and their upside and potential. Good stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think it's always like you just do a mental game and say, all right, if, if, um, Josh Allen played for the giants, what would his cards be worth right now? And that's, that's at least some good mental gymnastics to kind of start to, to understand his true value. If he does become something, obviously if he doesn't become something, it's, um, it probably goes even further down, but you have to kind of think that way, which is, is a good point. Yeah, absolutely. All right. To close us out here, this has been super fun, but since you're creating awesome content, video content, that's um, been super fun for me to, um, you know, look at across all social channels. What advice maybe do you have to anyone who's listening, who's in the hobby, who has been thinking about creating content, but just hasn't taken the leap yet? I'd say just, just do it is the biggest thing. Like I'm a perfectionist and I'm used to at work shooting with like $30,000 cameras and perfect lights and stuff. And I literally have started this on my Logitech webcam because uh, I actually surprisingly don't own a ton of video gear, even though I've done it for years because I've just always had it from work. So I literally shoot on a Logitech webcam, which I've had sitting on my computer for four years and my iPhone. Like the iPhone is incredibly powerful. You could do almost anything you want to do to get started on your iPhone. So my advice would be to get started and then just every single video, try to make gradual improvements. Like if you're going to my YouTube, it's, it's Cahill cards uh, with a C C A H I L L and go back and watch my first video. It's tragically bad. Um, <laughs> like the lighting is bad. I don't have the settings on my webcam, right? The audio is kind of eh. like the, the phone setup for the packs is kind of bad. And I just kind of gradually start to improve every, every week. And I have a bit of a tendency to want to do that opposite. Like I want to, I want to do it perfect the first time and have all the best gear and you know, yada, yada, yada. But you know, you just have to throw yourself in it and then focus on gradually improving. Um, don't get, you know, I would, I would say don't be satisfied with just doing your iPhone video, but if you need to do your iPhone video for, for six months until you can get a webcam, do that. I would also say, put your, put your face on camera. I think it makes such a big difference. Um, you know, making a personal connection with the people that are watching your content is big. And that, that's why when I came in, I didn't see a lot of the bigger guys. Um, a lot of the guys that I subscribe to, you know, like Pac-Man cards and all that stuff. I love watching their videos, but I have no idea what they look like. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm going to provide that and I'm going to try to form that personal connection and um, do something a little different there. I think it can make a big deal. So, you know, you could do it with a GoPro and a phone and, and all that stuff. And there's free editing software out there. I use Adobe for all my stuff. Um, if you're looking for like a logo, like Fiverr is great. Fiverr is great. Like you'll get really good stuff. Um, and I, again, I'm a kind of a perfectionist. I got my logo on Fiverr. I thought they did a great job. I just got all my stream overlays back for my breaks on Fiverr and they like absolutely killed it. And, you know, just throw yourself into the community and have a good time. And I think you'll be, be set up for success as long as you're enjoying it. I think it'll come across to everybody else and, and they'll have a good time watching you. I love it. Yeah. Shout out to Fiverr. Uh, connections I've made on Fiverr help make this uh, show sound good. So I love Fiverr. That's a great recommendation. 
All right. You mentioned your YouTube channel, but where can people find you? The hardest thing is, is the spelling of Cahill. Cause like I said, everyone always puts a K it's C A H I L L. If you put in Cahill cards in any of your social platforms, I'll pop up. Uh, Cahillcards.com will also right now take you to my, my YouTube and that'll soon be uh, the home of, of my breaks and everything as well. I'm working on that right now as well. So uh, yeah, just just type me in. I would love a subscription on YouTube. It's really where I'm trying to put a lot of time. Obviously, follow me on TikTok for fun content. And uh, yeah, I'm just trying to have a good time. Just reach out to me again. Slide in my DMs. Let's have a conversation. Um, just always always down to to have some fun and and just talk about the hobby. Awesome, Ed. Thank you so much. This was uh, an awesome conversation. Hope we can do it again. Everybody out there, go check out. Cahill cards on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, you name it. He's doing some really fun things. I'm excited to see what you're up to next. And definitely whenever you get those breaks starting, I'll, I'll buy a spot. So I want to see uh, the production value Dude, on that. You're, you're in for free. The first one, no doubt you're in for free. <laughs> Don't worry about that. I appreciate it, man. You're doing great stuff as well. Doing a podcast like this and getting people involved in the community is just so awesome. The content you put out educational, I learned stuff from it. You've got unique takes. Um, you know, I think you and I are very much in the same same wavelength and I, uh, I appreciate you having me on and appreciate everything you do. It's awesome. Thanks a lot, man. Take it easy and we'll talk to you real soon. Thanks. Wow. I had so much fun talking with Ed from Cahill Cards and I cannot stop thinking about that beast mode story, man. Can you imagine being on the sidelines there? And that's what I love so much about meeting new people and learning their backgrounds and getting to share those types of stories. Definitely go check out Ed at Cahill Cards across all your favorite social platforms. Definitely, if you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button. Leave that five-star review. I love that and appreciate that. Happy collecting. Happy investing. Stay safe out there. Talk to you again real soon. 